podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams. Niche nonsense. Or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. to uh, the world-famous home of the Spurs show. Uh, lovely of you to join me. My name is Mike Clee. So much to talk about tonight. God almighty. Last week with Theo Delaney, it was all doom and gloom as we dropped two points against Newcastle. One week later, we're going to win the league. It's extraordinary, the life of Spurs fans. Joining me tonight, three uh, eminent legendary guests of the show. Firstly, the football journalist and the wonderful author. If you haven't bought White Hart Lane, uh, The Glory Years, wonderful, wonderful book written by Martin Lipton. How are you, Martin? I'm extremely well. Better, I suspect, than any of us thought we were going to be. <laughs> I know. It, it goes from despair to elation so quickly, doesn't it? Oh, it does indeed. Um, but it's just been a dramatic uh, wholesale change in mood. I think everyone shares it now um and it's it gives you some of the very different thing, things to talk about and think about them than i think any of us imagined we'd have we'd have been in so that that's really positive and let's enjoy the chat tonight i'm sure we'll find things to moan about because that's what we do after all it's our, sort of, our self way of being isn't it? Our raison, raison d'etre as they say but uh, let, let's let's enjoy the joust Exactly. Another man I've known for many, many years, uh, a wonderful broadcaster, without doubt, to me, the only listenable show on Talk Sports. Paul Hawksby returns. How are you, Paul? I'm good, thanks, Mike. Not too bad. Good. Uh, you must be a cock-a-hoop at the moment as well. <laughs> yeah, it uh, certainly wasn't the week I was expecting. Certainly not after the first half against Chelsea anyway. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And just to kind of balance things this evening... Uh, you'll know him on the Spurs for many years, <laughs> the voice of doom normally. And I'd be interested to see how, how he can put some kind of negative spin on it. But trust me, he'll find an angle. Please welcome uh, eminent football coach, Robin Easton returns. How are you, Rob? Hi, Mike. I'm very well. And I'm looking forward to the show tonight. Um, it's going to get very interesting, I'm sure. Oh, no, I, I'm sure it will. Well, it's, uh, as Paul has already uh, alluded to, uh, you know, obviously Theo Delaney did last week's show. We played very well, very well against Newcastle, didn't put the ball in the net enough times, and then obviously sucker punch. And then we had this extraordinary week that obviously our, our manager kept going on about. Last Tuesday, uh, yeah, one week ago, we had uh, big rivals Chelsea in the League Cup. We then had a huge game in the Europa League qualifiers against Maccabi Tel Aviv. And then a, a game last season we literally didn't show up against Man United, and one week later, we won them all, and uh, we've also signed a striker since last week, Carlos Vinicius, uh, who last week's guest, Richard Cracknell, uh, tweeted, Carlos uh, is an anglicised version of Charlie, Vinicius is, is, is uh, Latin for wine, 
we basically uh, signed Champagne Charlie. So that's a beautiful thing. Uh, Paul, I mean, obviously you're you're trying to crowbar Tottenham in every single week, every single day on your talk sports show. And as you sit at the top of the show, that first half against Chelsea, we stood off them. You're kind of thinking, oh, you know, he hasn't he hasn't drilled this team well enough. And then second half. From that second half, Chelsea onwards, where we went at them, closed them down, high up the pitch. It's been three scintillating performances, hasn't it? Yeah, it's weird because, I mean, Jose was sarcastically joking about it on Sunday, saying, imagine if we were, you know, yeah, six goals, imagine if we were an attacking team. But <laughs> we are, sometimes in games, as we were in that Chelsea first half, we're incredibly passive and it just doesn't suit the players we have. And when we're just that passive in a game, it's a very hard watch. And again, it goes back to this whole idea of if, a, if there was a crowd in there, there was no way 60,000 Spurs fans would have let Tottenham play like that against Chelsea at home. Uh, if it had, you know, because they'd be saying, get into him, you know, but he does, he can be incredibly passive, but subsequently since that moment, we got on the front foot in the second half, we did close them down. We created chances. We look like a different team. I think the players he has there are much more suited for a kind of front foot style. And I think we've seen that. You know, we certainly saw it at the weekend and we saw it in the second half against Chelsea. I mean, we, we, I mean, we, I was going to start with United, but you know what? We, we're, we're on Chelsea now. Martin, what I noticed a lot in a lot of the papers, especially the tabloids, you know, a lot of the tabloid, a lot of the journalists wrote that Chelsea had a more weakened team than Tottenham, and I actually thought we, on paper, had more of a, a, a weakened team. And and I mean, I've been going to Spurs probably as long as you have. I don't think I've ever seen Tottenham. I thankfully I haven't seen Tottenham in many penalty shootouts, but I certainly haven't seen Tottenham score hundred percent of penalties. I mean, it was a, it was a bizarre night, wasn't it? Absolutely, they they looked really out of it in the first half, there was a sense that they were going through the motions. And it was almost as yeah. if he, he got to half-time, they're still in the game, and he's looked at Chelsea and thought, you know what, this lot ain't all that, actually. And if we start to play a bit, and I've got my uh, ace in the pack to send on in terms of Kane for the last 20 minutes, we could nick, we could win this, we can get something out of this. And it was a... It was a, a you suspect that was the message at half-time, that... Hang on, I've seen this lot. They can't play. They think they can play, but we we can beat this lot. Now just go out there. They've thrown their best shot at us and haven't looked and have scored one. We had a couple of goes and they're scared of us. We're gonna hurt them. And it trans you know, it seemed to transmute to the players and transfer. I, I do think looking looking back, and it's very early in the season, it's only October, we only played eight games. We may well look back to a minute before half time at Southampton. And that turn by Ndombele away from three players to set up the goal mm. as a pivotal moment in the entire season. Because we could have been three or four down that day. I know we'd scored a great goal that was disallowed just offside. But we looked in a right mess. And that goal seemed to transform the mood of everyone. Because it was, hang on, this is what we're about. We're going to hurt teams. We've got that in us. And yeah, you add that in, obviously, with the, the bail signing and everything else. But that one moment almost felt as if it articulated and, and epitomised what this team is supposed to all be about. Mm. No, you're absolutely right. Rob, I mean, from a sort of 
coaching perspective, Mark was right. In the first half, we really weren't very good. Reguillon, uh, the new Spanish fullback, obviously made the error. Uh, then in the second half, created the goal for Lamella. Yes, defensively, Chelsea were poor. But, to, uh, and I know for many, many years, coaches go, oh, we don't practice penalties. We don't practice penalties. With the new format of the League Cup, whereby there is no extra time, it's 90 minutes of football and then penalties. Clearly, we've started practicing penalties because they were all to the keeper's right. I think all our penalties, they're all fantastic. So clearly, coaching-wise, th- things are happening there that maybe weren't happening under Pochettino. Um, it's difficult to assess at the moment. I think there's three aspects to football. There's the players' own emotions and technique and the way they play. There's the coaches, the, co- the head coach or the coaches, um, you know, tactics and advice. And then usually there's the fans that, that can influence a game. We, we don't have the fans at the moment. So to me, it, it seems a bit of a roller coaster in the way that we're playing. One minute it can be very bland and very kind of um, bereft of ideas. And next thing, it can be very dynamic. Now, I don't know whether players are taking it upon themselves to to launch themselves into you know some kind of positivity and belief, or whether it is coming from the manager because at halftime there definitely seemed to be a change. In terms of the penalties, I mean, yeah, we kept it very, I mean, all the penalties were good, actually. I mean, apart from the very last one, obviously, from Chelsea. Yeah. But there's there's obviously, you know, uh, less pressure with no fans in the stadium. Um, yeah. It's difficult to understand what, what the players are thinking. We can feel the same emotion watching it on TV, but actually in the stadium, it, it's obviously going to be a lot, a lot more relaxed. The penalties looked more relaxed. Yeah. They yeah. were more simple. They were put all the same direction. So it, at the moment, it's, it's a difficult thing to, to kind of analyze and, and who is the main influence behind yeah, no. you know, what's going on. Yeah, Paul, I mean, obviously, uh, Rob has mentioned there are no fans. I mean, if there was 60,000 fans there, Paul, would Eric Dyer be running off to take a shit? I mean, I mean would you dare to see Jose Mourinho chasing after him? I mean, it was just a bizarre moment uh, to, to witness that. When we saw him in that direction, we knew he wasn't going to try and get someone in the crowd. Not, not this time. <laughs> but it was, I mean, I think it's happened in the past now and again. But I think, again, because there was nobody there and it was so noticeable and Jose went chasing him down the tunnel. I think a lot of people thought he'd been substituted and, and he kind of spat the dummy. But, of course, I think we'd used all our subs by then. So I was thinking... He's not been substituted, but uh, he was very upfront about it, wasn't he? It was, it was very clear that it was a number two. I mean, he did, yeah. to be honest, first time he played for Tottenham, he was a number two, but he scored against West Ham. So maybe there was an omen in there. I don't know. Yeah, no, you're <laughs> absolutely right. I mean, and Martin, I mean, again, it was a sort of competition. I know this, this competition, now, if you win it, you don't get into the Europa League, but it is a trophy. One could argue that Pochettino didn't kind of take it seriously. We, you know, we had nine changes from the Newcastle game, but we've obviously got now Stoke City away uh, in the next round. And um, I think uh, Brentford is still in it. Newcastle's in it. We now have a very, very good chance of getting silverware in this competition, haven't we? Well, one doesn't want to jump ahead, but yeah. yeah. I mean, let's be <laughs> honest. The ideal now would be to draw the winners, to beat Stoke, draw the winners of Ventford v Newcastle in the semi, and then play the survivor from the other half of the draw, whether that be Arsenal or City 
or, or United or whomever it might be. Um, that's that's perfect, isn't it, really? And you then potentially have the chance to win something by the end of February, beginning of March, and that would change the that that whole ghost being laid would be massive for the club. There's no doubt about that. And I know it's the Mickey Mouse Trophy. I know that it's actually a booby prize for winning it because you play in the in the equivalent of the EFL Trophy in Europe. Yeah, so they don't want to be. They don't want to. They want to pass that prize on by winning something more. By doing something more significant. But it would be that trophy, the first one since two thousand and eight, and the proof that they are building momentum and look and are able to win things. Because we, you know how close were we? All those semi-finals and finals yeah. under Pochettino and second place and third place. And you know, unfortunately, in football, you don't get silver and bronze medals. Mm. You know, yeah. you don't count. No one even looks at them. You just get losing semi-finals and losing finals, and that's the difference. Win one, and the players now know that they can win. I've always felt that for a lot of football teams, the hardest opponent in the big games is themselves. Mm. Whether they can find a way to conquer their doubts and nerve and win and find the way to win. And once you've done it once, it's an awful lot easier the second time because you know you have it in you. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, and we, we've been very lucky on this show to speak to many Tottenham legends from the 60s onwards. And they've all said the same thing. They've all said you speak to anyone from the 60s era, anyone from the early 70s team, anyone from the early 80s team. They all say it's about getting that first trophy. Rob, I mean, obviously, the, the second competition we went for two days later, Thursday night, this bizarre qualifier game to get into the group stage against Maccabi Tel Aviv. We watched the game together and uh, obviously at one stage it was one all. But again, I, I, I thought we, we, we did what had to be done, didn't we? Well, we did. I just want to pick up on what you were just talking about because, you know, the famous old American football coach Vince Lombardi uh, used to say treat win winning and, and losing as the same imposter. And the, the thing is, is what you want to do is build a winning mentality. You know, we go on and on and on for a long time about winning silverware and winning a trophy. I've got bored of talking about it, to be honest. And I guess if we were to win the League Cup, it'd probably be a massive anticlimax because we've waited so long and then it will happen when there's no fans. But the fact is, is that what you want to do is build a winning mentality. If it's to win the League Cup to build it, then do it. You want to do well in the Europa League. You want to build this mentality. At the moment, it seems like we've caught that bug. It seems like we're going into matches now. and We're looking to win matches. Um, and once you get on a roll, you will win those matches and you'll win them well. And we did against um, Haifa uh, um, on, on Thursday. Sorry, Maccabi Haifa, sorry. Yes, I said Haifa. Yeah, Haifa, yeah. yeah. Um, and also obviously carried that on, uh, on on Sunday. But what we want to do is to, is to build that winning mentality. But it can also quickly go the other way. And you saw that with Pochettino. We, we built a winning mentality. We were winning and winning and winning. The Champions League final created you know, this imposter and we started to come back and start losing at the beginning of the following season. So I think Jose's got to just keep building a winning mentality. So win in the league cup, win in the Europa league, just keep winning. And the more you keep doing it, the habit keeps building. So, yeah, I mean, we watched it together on Thursday and it looked, we looked like a team that wanted to win. And that's what's what, what what is important at the moment that we go into these games with that belief. 
Yeah, absolutely right, Paul. I mean, obviously now we finally got into this uh, group stage, Paul. It's it's not a bad group, is it? Really, on paper. Yes, it is a good group, Mike. I mean, it was one of the best we could have hoped for. There was looking mm. down, there really wasn't that many groups of death, but um, we did avoid what big Celtic, guns there Celtic were. Celtic got a tricky one, and they Celtic got Milan yeah. and yeah. yeah. That's true. Galatasaray. No, it's not Galatasaray. They've got another tough trip. Is it to Turkey or, or to Greece? Anyway, um, I think it, what's going to be good as well is that because it is going to be very, very intensive. I think much like the Champions League, they're trying Nobody to squeeze goes. 12 yeah. weeks worth of football into eight weeks this time. So uh, I think they're going to have to use the squad. And I think that's been quite key to the way we're moving. We now yes. have cover in key positions. And I think you saw where Ben Davis last Thursday, yeah, played very well, set up yeah. two goals, didn't hit the first man like he generally does. And also with Aurier, it was one of his best performances for Tottenham at the weekend mm-hmm. because yeah. there's competition for places. Suddenly, Stockerty there, there's Regulon there, and there's people that can take their shirt. And I think that's surprising how that gives people a bit of a jolly up. There's competition all over the pitch, and we're going to need that squad, certainly, in the Europa League. And I think there's boys in there that we can trust. This one, please. Deli Ali didn't go anywhere yesterday because I think he is going to be yeah. needed between now and Christmas. Absolutely. Well, look, let, let's do a very, very quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the record-breaking win at Old Trafford. And then we're going to talk about, in more general, has Daniel Levy gone crazy? What is going on at Tottenham? He's now throwing money around left, right and centre. Is this finally the moment that we can go on and do something special? Back after this break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back for the break. Just to remind you out there, um, you can become a Spurs Show season ticket holder. I know COVID-19 has stopped at the moment our regular monthly live events. But if we're allowed, we will be back on Wednesday, October the 21st with Martin Chivers. Uh, Unfortunately, we had to uh, postpone uh, the September event. Just go to season.spurshow.net. It's 10 quid a month, which gives you two tickets, like a fiver each for all our monthly events. And don't forget, if you enjoy listening to the Spurs Show, come and support us by... uh, taking our additional premium Spurs show content, including a daily Spurs news show, match reports after every game, interviews with ex-players, and many documentary series. Uh, so many, too many to talk about here. Uh, just go to patreon.com slash Spurs show. Uh, Martin, let, let's talk about the extraordinary uh, performance at the weekend. Typical Spurs, actually overmarred by Villa's thrashing of Liverpool. Uh, which is typical, but uh, 
before the game, a lot of Spurs fans were joking on social media about when um, when the United penalty will, will happen. Uh, none of us realised it was actually going to be 30 seconds. It was a bizarre start to a game, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was a, got to be honest, it was an absolute nailed on penalty as well. It was a stupid challenge yeah. by Sanchez. And you did start to think, oh, God, here we go again. You know, all this bright hope and expectation evaporating in a blink of an eye. <laughs> and memories of, of Madrid came rather swiftly back in that regard. Um, yes. And yet, instead, before we'd even got our heads around the fact they were a goal down, they were a goal up. Um, yeah. and, the, and suddenly they were finding space all over the shop, which was f- terrific. I mean, you have to say, what a shambles United were. Oh. But the other thing is... Spurs not only spotted and Mourinho spotted the shambles and he set them up to take advantage of it. Quite why they didn't realise that giving Oreo 40 yards of space every time he got the ball <laughs> might be a mistake still remains beyond me. But yeah. I'm delighted that uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a tactical genius because long may he stay Manchester United manager if that's the course of future action. Uh, yeah, I mean, can, can, you, I, can you remember, Martin, can you remember a United midfield player even putting a tackle in in midfield. It was like well, a training game. Holbier turned into like Lionel Messi. He was the, well, the, the, the space they, he had. They were all over the place, weren't they? I mean, um, one of those days where Pogba decided he wanted to be the Mickey Mouse version of Pogba that doesn't do anything in the game other than posturing. And he's a much better player than that. He just, he was awful. Um, McTominay didn't know what he was doing when he came on. Matic was a... A, a nothing, a shadow, a ghost. The whole lot of them were were embarrassing, actually. But that shouldn't take away from the fact that we played them off the park. We absolutely took their trousers down and spanked their backsides in public, or not in public, because there's no one there, because we'd probably get nicked if we did it in public. Um, it was an astonishing performance. Uh, yeah. And it could have been more. That, you know, that little spell before the third goal on the red card, where we were knocking on the door so loud, we'd have had a noise abatement notice put out. I mean, it was uh, it was remarkable in that regard. And you see Kane and, and Son linking like that with full-backs pushing forward. And it it gives you real hope, isn't it? It looks as though he's found a shape, which is... Yes. Perhaps we should have realised that when he bought Doherty, because he played in the back, you know, on the wing back in the back three for Wolves last season. Mm. And by playing Hoberg and dropping in to make the three... It allows the fullbacks to both bomb on, absolutely. And they, yes, they have defensive responsibility as well. But then you had um, Sissoko covering back uh, yeah. and filling, you know, filling the holes when needed, and Dombele back and filling the holes. You don't have to attack with seven if you can attack with four or five if they're really quick. Um, and then it, you can always add numbers as well. But the fact that you know, and Dombele scores the goal in the six-yard box says that he's not scared to get forward when required. But there was a discipline about them tactically, which allowed everything to flow. Mm. That's not always been the case. You don't play like that with that discipline, with that determination, with that shape and, and intensity, unless you actually believe in what you've been told to do. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And Rob, from a coaching point of view, if you look at the performance against Everton, where we all watched that game and just went, what's he doing? What, what, what is going on here to that performance? And as Martin said, United were wretched. That's a given. But the way we were turning the ball over, I think it was the third goal when Bay brought the ball out. It was a wonderful training, almost like a training ground move. The quick 
free kick for the second goal. Do you think he's just allowing these players to play their natural game? Or do you think Jose Mourinho has had this sort of epiphany and suddenly gone, you know what, we're now going to do it this way? What, what do you think? Um, no, I don't think he's had an epiphany. And I definitely haven't had an epiphany. And I'm going to reserve my judgment on all of this because, um, you know, um, we've, we've been down this road before. And the last thing I want to do is get really ultra excited about one performance like this because I, I usually end up in a miserable heap of depression <laughs> um, the following week when we kind of get beat by West Brom or someone. Um, so, look, it's crazy times. This this weekend alone was a crazy weekend. West Ham, you know, winning 3 0 at Leicester. Villa putting seven past Liverpool, right? Seven. If you take the game as a as a one-off, which we all saw, I mean, great, really happy, brilliant performance, great the way we took our goal. Son's finishing was unbelievable. Um, but but there's something not real about it. I mean, the, the, you were talking about the space there, uh, Martin. I mean, do you remember when we lost 7-0 to Liverpool many years back? Yeah. Probably in 77 or something. It was one of my first away games yeah. I ever went to. Yeah, But then I always remember Gerald Sinstad, who was the commentator, who said there was acres of space that day. Mm-hmm. And and there were there was acres of space for Spurs to play in on Sunday. Acres. And and literally, you know, it's so hard to, to judge how good a performance mm-hmm. it was because... I can only assume that that there will be teams that will play for their manager, play for their shirt, play for their careers. Because at this moment, with no crowd, you are left almost to your own devices. And if there are players and teams that don't want to play for their managers, which United certainly at the moment look like one of those, mm-hmm. then we're going to see these ridiculous results. And it's going to keep happening. It's not just going to be us. There's going to be other teams. West Ham probably couldn't believe that Leicester, uh, uh, you know, decided not to turn up. And Villa will never get another opportunity to do what they did to Liverpool. No team will. But Liverpool switched off. I do agree with that. Because one thing you've got to say is, look, the week before, Brighton could have scored seven against United. Mm. Yeah, and look at us. I mean, look at look at our, look at us. I mean, we're sitting here now, like bleating on about how brilliant it was, but but we were all awful against Everton, and there was some moments against Southampton which we were all concerned. For, yeah, first half. We first half there. against Chelsea. So it, yeah. I don't I don't think there's any epiphanies here. I think that if you're going to get given a match on a plate, which we were, we'll take it, and, they, and mm. I think any half decent team will. Mm. Okay, so. I'm, I'm going to reserve my judgment. Talk to me again in about four or five weeks' time because we've got five winnable games coming up, which we, games we should most definitely win. Mm. Um, and, and in my opinion, you're going to get a be- better idea of where we stand after that. Fair enough. Paul, I mean, what's your take take on it? I mean, uh, I think we all agree United were wretched. But I've personally heard, I've seen a difference in... in uh, attitude on the pitch and what we're doing and we seem to be more intense and we've seemed to have gone up a gear. How, how do you see it? I, I'm a bit like Rob in some ways. I'm really, it was a wonderful performance. It was great to watch on a, as Rob was saying, on a freakish day, but uh, we, we, we probably do have to reserve judgment. We should be excited by some of the things we're seeing and we've got bail to come. The Celso wasn't yeah. on the pitch. And he's been a good player for us. And we were good against Southampton when we played on the front foot. 
But, you know, there was a couple of duffers in the Europa League. We made incredibly hard work of all the Europa League games before mm. we finally turned it on against yeah. Haifa the other night. So I think we do have to, you know, we, we're Tottenham fans, so by definition <laughs> we'll be sceptical. So I think we just have to... We have to be uh, kind of optimistic, but realistic at the same time. And let's, Rob's right, let's see how we look against West Ham. They'll be fancying their chances after a couple of good performances. They're, they're looking pretty well organised. We know they're all about Antonio. If he plays well, which he often does against us, they play well. So that, that will be a mm. test. So I, I think, you know, we've, we've got plenty of cover in the team now. We've got a much deeper squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of things that are on the up, but we should we should kind of reserve judgment just at the moment. Martin, we talked there about now there seems to be, you can maybe not so much the centre-backs, but in most positions there now seems to be two players, um, you know, fighting for each position. Uh, Regulon, the new fullback from Seville, has uh, now played, what, two two games. He looks particularly good, doesn't he? he? He's almost like, before we had Davis, who couldn't bomb forward, he could be key this season, couldn't he? Well, there's a new dynamic about the team because you've got threat on both flanks. I mean, last season, even when they were getting results under Mourinho, everything went down the right. We had nothing coming down the left in terms of from the back because uh, Rose was rightly, I think, out of favour. And it isn't what um, Davis does. Davis is a solid player who will do a, a good job as far as he can within his limitations, but he's not going to inspire fear in anybody. Mm. He's not going to run at people and hurt them with pace. He might deliver a good ball, but he's not going to hurt them with pace. Now, Regulon, we've seen, is roadrunner. Absolute yeah. flying machine down the left. We know that both um, Doherty and Aurier in that form are going to get forward. They don't always deliver, but they give you that thrust down the right. So you're suddenly being able to, you know, you look at the, that Spurs setup, as I said, with the effective back three, and you're able to hurt them wide. And if you look at the, the best of the Pochettino team, when you had Rose and Walker both flying up and down the flanks, Teams were stretched constantly. They couldn't just defend one side. They had mm. to defend across the pitch. As a consequence, there's more space in the middle of the pitch. Yeah. And and you can't press the line too high because some will just run past you. And if you yeah. drop off too much, you give turn, chance for cut, t- time for Kane to turn and play balls in. So mm. you've, you've got a, a dynamism about the team and an ability to hurt which, let's be honest, we haven't seen for two seasons. Across yeah. the side, there's a, an attacking threat. Now, there's still issues. I still think we're all going to be concerned when the ball gets played in around our centre-halves. Um, and I do think it's better now for the goalkeeper that he doesn't have to kick the ball very much. That helps, because he's not very good at that. Um, but he makes a lot of saves. But, you know, so there's still we're not going to say that the glass is completely full. That'd be yeah. stupid. Yeah but it seems to have a lot more liquid in it than it did just a few weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, they kind of, obviously the transfer window shut yesterday, uh, Paul. Um, there was, you know, this whole uh, milan Scrinia thing. There's still, we're linked with this uh, Swansea defender. That some journalists are going, he could be Mourinho's new John Terry uh, if we do go ahead and buy him. Do you know much about this guy from Swansea, Paul? Um, 
And while we were chatting, one of our guys today who watches a lot of championship football, uh, Joe Rhodes on his name is. He's yes. still young. He's about 22, plays for Wales. Uh, everybody, virally, you've probably seen an overhead kick with a Welsh commentary. That was doing the rounds last night. Uh, but he is kind of, he's, he's a decent attacking centre-half. He's good in the air. He's highly rated. I think the problem may be uh, our valuation uh, compared with theirs. I mean, they're talking about 18 million. And apparently Daniel, Daniel yeah. Levy's gone in with around seven. So there's some work to do before sort of next Friday week. But it's yeah. not out of the question. And I, you've got a sense, really, that this might have turned his head. So to, even to make it public, suddenly the players think, you know, Tottenham want me. So, uh, you know, it's a little bit, maybe potentially a little bit naughty. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But I think he's a, a decent player. And I wasn't at all sure about Rudiger. I was talking to Andy, who I do this show, who's a big Chelsea fan. He Chelsea thinks, well, he thinks Rudiger wasn't the same player after his injury. He'd, he'd lost a bit and uh, he didn't think he was really particularly going to train on. And uh, Scrimmon would have been very good. But again, 50 million quid with everything else that's been spent was never going to happen. But if you can get this guy for. I don't know, 12, something like that. And are they yeah. talking about Carter Vickers potentially going as part of the deal? Then mm -hmm. it sounds like an interesting bit of business. No, you're absolutely right. Rob, I mean, you over the years have been, like a lot of Spurs fans, incredibly critical of uh, the board and Daniel Levy. Uh, over the many years on the Spurs show, very critical of key moments when you think we should have invested on the pitch and kicked on. And we didn't. A lot of Spurs fans like you are now sort of looking at Daniel Levy and going, oh, my God, he's spending some money. He's done the deal for Bale, Doherty, Regulon. We've now finally got a, a young backup striker in Carlos Vinicius. Uh, are, are you what do you think is um, why do you think Daniel Levy is suddenly it looks like to us loosen the purse strip springs? Do you think it's because he realizes He's now got maybe the manager he's always wanted there and wants to back him. Well, who knows? Because they never, I mean, you know, we got we got an insight into their world on, on the Amazon documentary, but we don't get a regular kind of um, uh, game plan, should we say, from from the club as to why they spend money or what the, what the plan is. Personally, I think... It's a bit of a three-card trick. I think it was trying to keep fans happy uh, with the bail signing and uh, et cetera. Um, I don't know whether this is a well-thought-out long-term plan or whether this is just something to, you know, give us a lift at this point. Um, where's the money come from? Um, and how is it? I mean, there's there's rumours I hear about, you know, sponsorship deals being done with Gazprom and et cetera, and money being introduced to the club. Um, I don't know. I mean, but personally, I don't trust anything that they, that he does. So I, I'm, I always think there's some other ulterior motive other than football in terms of the valuation of players or the club or, or whatever. He's a businessman. He, he, he likes to you know, go on uh, TV and uh, in, in the media and, 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 and bleat on about how great he is as, as a businessman. Um, sure he is. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the answer is, I, you know, you would like to hear a very good long-term um, game plan and as the reason as to why we have bought certain players, what is what we are expecting. Um, 
and then and then it would give it some credence and credibility. But to me, that it smells of deals being done in the background somehow, um, and you know, short-term fixes maybe, um, and how how the whole bail thing will turn out. I'm not too sure. I mean, I, I obviously, like everyone, I'm pleased to see him back, but. You know, there's an old rule in football that you shouldn't go back. Um, and, you know, we, you obviously isn't set at the moment. And, you know, it, it, uh, you just – our forward line for me isn't isn't the issue anyway. I, w- I would have liked to have seen a strength in our midfield. Um, and I think that's going to be the key to our long-term success. Um, but but um, you know it's he's done what he's done, and I'm sure a lot of Spurs fans will fall for that, and and uh, I'm not one of them. Martin, what what do you think? Because I mean, I, personally, I see it as you've got uh, Harry Kane there in his pomp. You can't keep doing this as a five-year project. You, he had to get ready-made players in now. He's paying reportedly £9 million a year for Jose Mourinho. You you don't pay that kind of money if you're not going to back your manager. Now, I know it's the COVID-19 times. There's not as much money coming into the club. What do you think is behind uh, this uh, apparent splashing of the cash? A little bit of desperation in some regards that he knew that something had to be done, that there was a cycle of decline that had set in and it hadn't been arrested over two years. Uh, The Hunter Madrid papered over the the cracks that we could all see in the team, let's be honest. I mean, it was a brilliant, fantastic adventure, but it masked the reality, which was exposed last season, of a team that got too old together, too cosy, too soft and needed significant change. I don't think any of us honestly anticipated the scale of the investment. I certainly didn't. Um, But I welcome it wholeheartedly uh, because it was needed. It has changed things. I mean, as much as I'm sad to see Jan Vertonghen go, he'd done eight years. Much as I was sad personally to see Christian Eriksen go, he'd done seven years. Players do get stale. We hadn't replaced Dembele. We hadn't replaced what Wanyama gave in his one really good season. Uh, and we we lacked so much. And I don't think we've got every answer, but we've got an awful lot more keys to the locks than we had before. We've got a lot more answers than were there in, the, in previously. You assume from his goal record, and we'll find out soon enough, that Vinicius is not going to be... Uh, Brazilian Vincent Janssen. Um, we haven't got we haven't gone out and bought Nkudu or NG this time round, you know, which yeah. were stopgap signs who never made any impact whatsoever. Mm. Um, you know, we, we bought players who were ready to play, and and that's that's a big difference, I, I feel. And if you look at what you assume the first choice front three are going to be. And the team you're likely to play alongside them, it means the starting lineup won't include Mora or Bergwijn or Delhi or Sissoko or Winks mm. or Davis or Aurier. Yeah. And you think, crikey, that's not bad, is it? To have that on the bench yeah. or Vinicius, you know, that's it's a pretty strong looking series of options in a way we didn't have. Even in the best Pochettino team. There were 16 players you felt you could trust on the pitch, 17 if you're lucky. You know, I'm not entirely sold on Joe Hart. 
but he's experienced. He's only going to yeah. he's going to play in Europe and the FA and the domestic cups up to a certain point. The big games, the captain's going to play. He's your best goalkeeper. But it means that Luis doesn't have to focus three times a week every week. He's going to have games off which is important for any player because they play so many football matches. They need to have a bit of downtime because of the intensity of it. He can make changes. He can swap about. So, and you have to say the chairman has made that possible because he's allowed it at last to happen. You can also say, and I'm sure many will, well, why not before? Mm. But you know what? what? What didn't happen before is irrelevant to what's happening now. Um, yeah. And yes, it could have happened in the past. It probably should have happened in the past. But maybe a lot of that was also the manager who was reluctant to spend big money on big players. You get the feeling that even last season, Ndombele was a Levy signing rather than a Pochettino signing. Now, I know it didn't work for the season. I thought he was his attitude stank the place out. But also he would tell you that he's, his injury was misdiagnosed. He wasn't feeling valued. He felt frustrated. He didn't know where his place was. He didn't speak the language. All of these factors... And he seems to have come back a different player because he yeah. uh, he wasn't perfect on Sunday, but he was a lot more dynamic. He was a lot more forceful. He wanted to be on the pitch, whereas you felt last season he wanted to find reasons not to be on the pitch. Mm. And I think it, you have to ask whether Pochettino really wanted to spend money. I think he didn't, actually. I always felt that he was he wanted to sell players he didn't like. I don't think he was desperate to bring players in. Mm. Yeah, very, very interesting. Uh, Mike, Mike, yeah. sorry, Mike, just go back to something Rob was saying just now. I yeah. mean, looking at the business we've done, I'd say Doherty for 15 million is a, a guy that's had a good season in the Premier League and is Premier League ready, was good business. Regulon's been one of the best players in Spain last year. To pick him up for 26 million quid, I'd say is very good business. Uh, Vinicius, it just it's just a punt. It's not costing very much money. He's mm. done very well in, so I'd say, that looks like a pretty decent option. We'll see what he's like. And Bale, we were talking earlier on about winning mentality. The guy's won it all. In his first interview, he kept talking about winning trophies, winning trophies. If you can't feed off of that, and we may look back on this, if he stays for a second season, it, it may be the difference between Harry Kane leaving and not leaving, and that is worth yeah. its weight in gold. So I actually think the business that we've done in this window, although we could have strengthened in other areas, has been good. And, and I don't think we've been mugged off on prices. I think, as he often is, he's been very canny. And the players mm. that he's brought in, I'm, I'm excited by. And the other thing, Paul, is don't forget this weird season. The next transfer window is as early in January, uh, you know, literally sort of three months away. Um, so, uh, as we've alluded to there, if Delhi doesn't get game time, he could go off on loan or whatever. And we've still got time to, to improve on the team then, haven't we? Yeah. I think you're going to need, you're definitely going to need deep squads. I mean, we've seen this week players flying off around the world. Quite a few of our guys going out to Brazil where, well, obviously the virus is still rife, going to bits of South America. Players are going to be getting this virus and they're going to be out for two or three weeks. We've seen it with Mane, we had Shakiri today. This is going to be happening more and more. So we're going to need really deep squads. And I think, again, you're going to find in January, you're probably going to find over the next week, a team buying a championship player that they didn't intend to buy simply because they may have lost a couple of players to to the virus. So it's, these are going to be mad times. They, I mean, that word unprecedented, but what else can you say? I think it's going to completely 
skew the season. It, uh, maybe to Tottenham's advantage, if they go on and have a great one, maybe not. But it's going to be a bit of a lottery, dependent on those teams that have an issue with the virus and those that, that don't. Yeah, and I well, guess, can I just say something, Mike? Yeah. I mean, actually, we could argue that it's, it's I mean, I, I, listen, I agree with Paul that the signings were good. It, it, for me, it's actually more interesting than who we didn't sell. I mean, it seems like we, we've wanted to hold on to players. I think this is going to be the expertise of Mourinho in keeping a big squad happy. Mm. Well, Oreo is, is one a few weeks ago. I thought he's going to go. Uh, apparently, he was trying to go to Russia, played very well, as we said, against uh, Man United. And I, I'm happy he stayed. Mm. I, I mean, the, the only thing you can say is that this, this is where Mourinho will really earn his money. Because if he can keep a big squad happy, rotate correctly mm. and get the most out of squad players, like, you know, when they come in, like Adele Alley, when he plays, he plays to his maximum. Then this could be a very positive moment. Um, however, you know, that you could have an underlying current of dissatisfaction in the background. That's always going to be there, which can destabilize your team. Um, again, you know, we're just going to have to wait and find out. Mm, well, I think you're right, gentlemen. It's, I mean, we 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 can drone all all, all, all night, but it's uh, it's obviously very, very exciting time. We we've seen we've seen glimpses this week of the promised land and what can be. Uh, just very very quickly for those of you out there that remember the uh, wonderful pen and paper dice game Legacta that you used to get uh, through the Shoot magazine. Um, they're trying to revamp it. Go to Kickstarter. Uh, dot com, I think it is, and type in Legacta, and you can get uh, a new updated uh, version of that wonderful game. Uh, next week, we've got on the show the writer Dan Friedman, the wonderful musician, uh, uh, bass player Jar Wobble uh, on the show, and the far show Simon Day joins us. Uh, that's next. Everybody. What are your predictions now for this season from what you've seen? What do you think might end up doing? Sure, is that me, Mike? I lost yeah, you there. Yeah, Paul, yeah, yeah. What do you um, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm a bit more optimistic of top four than I was before the the window. So I think the window business has been has been good enough to make me feel that we'll certainly be in the frame for top four. I don't know if I would have felt like that before we did that business. And I think we have got a trophy in us, whether that's because Jose has got that mentality, Gareth Bale's there as well. So I think Europa League or, or Carling Cup or even FA Cup is, is, is there for the taking. And I agree with Rob. I think that once they get one trophy under their belt, I think it can be a springboard for others. So I'm, I say I'm a lot more optimistic than I was about three weeks ago. Martin, do you feel the same? I do, yes. Uh, I don't like getting ahead of myself because you know what happens when you do. And yet you watch. But actually, is that what I It was the first half against Newcastle that excited me. I know we ended up getting frustrated in the game with the final result. But it was almost as if he took the handbrake off in that game. At home, when you've got to make... It's, it's easier to play away from home where the other team are going to come at you and leave themselves open, which is what Southampton did. But Newcastle was at the end of another long week uh, with another big week to come. And there was no holding back in that game. 
They, they they could have been six. I know they ended up drawing, but they could have been six, seven, eight up at half time. They absolutely yeah. battered them. And if if Song comes out for the second half, they probably win the game anyhow. You know, they they certainly should have done. And I thought this isn't that bad, you know. But is it going to be one of those seasons? And then you suddenly see the confidence start to flow. Mm. And you think they're actually quite good again, which they hadn't yeah. been for two seasons. And yeah. you look at City's defensive vulnerabilities and how reliant they are on Aguero being on the pitch to score goals. You look at Liverpool getting taken to the cleaners by, by Villa, and that won't happen every week, but people aren't going to feel the same about Liverpool anymore because they are clearly vulnerable. And for the next six weeks, they're without the goalkeeper. And Van Dijk can be nutmegged by Jack Grealish, and Alexander-Arnold gets caught out of position, and Robertson isn't that brilliant. And without Mane, they're not... In, and suddenly there's vulnerabilities there. And you look at Chelsea, who are still a few weeks away from being what they, they might be. They're going to be decent. Let's not pretend. I think we can look at United and think they're a disaster. Until Potter and comes in. I'm a bit worried about, about Woolwich. Though. I think they might be half yes. decent because they're quite... He's bought quite well, no question about that. And they're going to be a hard yeah. team. They're going to be really, they're going to concede perhaps fewer goals than most of the teams in the top four or five. They look better organised. But you think, crikey, this is a real shout. And it may well be that you only need, and I only because we've never been there, but you need 88 points to win the league, not 98. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be one of maybe one of those seasons where it's a lot tighter. And we've got goals. The front three could score 60 goals between them. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing that, if, you're scoring, if, the, if you've got three, three up front scoring that many goals, you're going to go close, aren't you? By its very nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. I think let's end it there because I'm quite excited now and I don't want Robbie some bringing it down. Uh, gentlemen, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us tonight on the show of Cheers, shows. Mike. Uh, Martin, thank you so much again. Uh, Paul, thank you. Robert, thank you very much. We'll be here next week with Dan Friedman, Jar Wobble and Simon Day. Until the next time, come on, you Spurs. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at spurshow.net. Sports Social Podcast Network.